0: The God that we believe in is not to be tamed or kept in a small box, <laughs> that God is knowledge of things going on in realms that we can hardly imagine, we're just barely starting to learn about.
1: Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's
2: culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Ken Keithley. And I'm Benjamin Quinn. Today is a very special episode of Christ and Culture. It's episode number 100.
1: Dr. Keithley, 100 episodes. I've only been here for about half of that time, but what did you expect when you started the Christ and Culture podcast?
2: When we started the podcast, I expected that it would be uh, both fun and rewarding. In both, it has exceeded my expectations. Wow, how fun this has been. And it's just amazing the guest that we have had and the conversations that we've enjoyed. I'm proud of every episode, but I'm also uh, very proud of how we've developed. Mm. And when you listen to the early episodes, they're good. But as Nathaniel came in and you have come on board, it's a much, even much better uh, podcast now. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we're going to do with the next 100 podcasts. What two or three podcasts would you say comes to mind for you as as you say these were really something?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's more of the kinds of conversations that we've had than it is just individual people. I mean, there are a handful of people who come to mind, but it's the conversations on how to use technology in the home, for example, or... Uh, ways in which we uh, navigate complications at church, some of those conversations that we've had. Even not too long ago, we had the fun discussion about should we meet on Christmas when Christmas lands on Sunday? Those are the kinds of fun things that we're able to to kind of banter around, but then also get fantastic people such as anybody from Carl Truman to Rebecca McLaughlin to Jennifer Wiseman. And in fact, I want to pivot there and say not only you mentioned uh, what we expected from the very beginning, Today's 100th episode is going to be what we might call an inclusio. There's your word for the day. Uh, it's uh, what we might call a rhetorical technique that's that's a bookend from beginning to end. Jennifer Wiseman was our first podcast a few years ago, and she's going to also serve as our 100th podcast. So that's exciting.
2: Yeah, and I think that having her uh, as our guest today highlights the spectrum of guests that we've had. I really do like the fact—I mean, it's, it's a podcast about Christ and culture, but that's about as broad as, you, as it gets— but we've had historians and scientists and scholars, biblical scholars, theologians, philosophers, all of those uh, various academic areas. But we've also had people who are very much in the real world of practice and serving pastors and businessmen. And, and so you had two types of, of, um, of conversations uh, in which either they spoke out of their discipline and talked to us, Uh, about things that really was their area of expertise. Or we've talked about how they have modeled Hmm. being a Christ follower in their respective vocation. And so, like I said, whether we've talked about sports and the arts and philosophy and the political arena. And so I find that doing these podcasts are stimulating and fun, and I look forward to them.
1: It's good to have Dr. Jennifer Wiseman back on today. Again, she was our very first podcast episode, and now will also serve for episode 100 with our very own Nathaniel Williams, who talked with her just a few weeks ago while we were all together in New Orleans, and that will serve as today's podcast.
3: Hey everyone! Yeah, I am Nathaniel Williams, and I'm really excited to share this conversation we have with Dr. Wiseman. We'll talk about new discoveries in space that inspire awe and praise. It was a great conversation. However, one thing I want to share before we get going, since it's our hundredth episode, what do you guys think about doing a giveaway? Sounds I like good. it. Okay, well let's do it. We have a CFC coffee mug, uh, a CFC moleskin notebook, a scarf, a pen, some other swag, and I'm thinking about bundling this up and giving it away to one of our listeners. So here's what we're going to do, listeners. If you would do the following, you're going to be entered to win this CFC swag pack, as we're going to call it. Number one, whatever podcast platform you have, go give us a rating or review. Uh, just give us a rating or review on that podcast platform. If you can, screenshot it and either email it to us. Our email address is in the show notes, but it's cfc at s-e-b-t-s e-d-u. Or you can tweet it to our uh, CFC social media account on Twitter. At Sebbets Bush Center. Again, cfc at sebts.edu or at Sebbets Bush Center. If all this is too complicated, just email us and say, "Hey, I did it," and I'll I'll, I'll trust your word. This is a Christian <laughs> podcast, you know. I'm I'm going to trust your word on that. When you send that to us, uh, we'll put your name in the list, and we will randomly select one of you for a CFC swag giveaway. And we may we may send uh, a little bit extra stuff to some other people as well.
1: So, I think Nathaniel, you you have to sign the the moleskin. So the pen that's in there will have been used by Nathaniel Williams. He'll put his autograph in the moleskin, and it will become immediately less valuable because I have done so. <laughs>
3: So we we wanna celebrate you all. The number of listeners has grown dramatically since episode one to episode 100, and we're thankful for you. So we wanna celebrate you and uh, and give you a CFC swag pack. So rate, review, screenshot it, email it to us, and we will enter you to win. Later in the episode, after the conversation, we're gonna have an edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines. And this Headlines is a little bit different because Dr. Keithley is gonna tell you about something, an opportunity that you're not gonna wanna miss.
1: Dr. Keithley, each summer, the CFC partners with Sister Seminaries for something that we call the Oxford Study Tour. Tell us what this is and why it's so special.
2: The Oxford Study Tour is an annual summer event in which Southwestern Seminary, Southeastern Seminary, and sometimes Midwestern, um, we go to England, and not just England, also Scotland, uh, and we have a study tour that has uh, seminary faculty that will... Give lectures at some of the best sites you can ever imagine getting to visit. Every, all the places you've uh, read about and the, the preachers, missionaries, and uh, writers that you have, that have influenced you through the years, we're going to visit their homes. For example, we'll go to the Kilns, uh, which is the home place of C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's been restored. It's a beautiful place. It is a great place to visit. We'll go to Spurgeon's Tabernacle, where we will be in the very church that C.S. Spurgeon preached. One of the very special uh, places we'll visit is a small little English town called Oni, And in Oni we will get to go to the very church where the great missionary, William Carey, was ordained to be a missionary, in which Andrew Fuller preached the ordination sermon. We'll walk from that church down to the Anglican church, where John Newton was pastor, and he wrote there in the study uh, the great hymn Amazing Grace. We will travel up the road to Bedford, where we will visit John Bunyan's church, and that's just the start. Every day, uh, we will get to tour uh, amazing places and sites, We will stay in Oxford for a week, and then we'll travel up many times through the Garden District all the way up to Edinburgh, get to visit the castle there, which is an amazing thing. Uh, King James of the King James Bible was born there. So there's just so many wonderful sites uh, that we get to visit. And not only do we get to visit them, but we also have someone who is a historian and an authority who knows what it is we're looking at. And so this is a wonderful opportunity, not only for students, but for any of our listeners who are interested. Many times we have just friends of the CFC or friends of Southeastern uh, who go with us. And so I want to encourage you, the deadline to apply is March 15th, and that's not very far away. And also you can learn more about the Oxford Study Tour at our website, cfc.org sebts.edu, dot E-D-U Or you can look down in the show notes And the link will be there uh, If you have any questions We'd be glad to try to help you We'd love to have you come
1: Just to tag on to that, Dr. Keithley, the, the chance to go to this part of England Especially to spend some time at Oxford And some of those other towns around You won't, you will not regret it That's uh, I've had students in the past Who went on these kind of study tours And it it costs some money to go, and I've never heard one student or even family member, parent, or anybody else say, you know, I wish we hadn't have done that. They always say how valuable it was. They would do it again in a heartbeat.
2: It is $4,500, which is not nothing. On the other hand, when you look at that, that is everything, basically. That's uh, airfare, lodging, meals, travel while you're there. How many days is it? It's 16 days. Yeah, wow. uh, and it's basically the last two weeks of June this year. Uh, you can look on the website to get the exact dates. But whenever you look at all that is involved in this tour versus what it costs, just mm-hmm. break down the cost of, uh, of, of what the various expenses are. And you can see You know, our goal at the CFC is to simply not lose money. We don't make anything from this tour. The, The tour is something that we feel is a wonderful ministry that we're glad that we're able to partner with a sister seminary like Southwestern and be involved in this.
3: Galaxies, stars, black holes... How can all of these far-off objects inspire wonder and praise? We're delighted to have back on the podcast Dr. Jennifer Wiseman. Dr. Wiseman is Director Emeritus of the AAAS Dialogue on Science, Ethics, and Religion program. She's also an astrophysicist, and uh, she's done a lot of remarkable things in her work, studying stars, planetary systems, using radio, optical, and infrared telescopes, She's incredibly accomplished in her field. I mean, we could spend all day reading her bio here. And we're just delighted to have her with us again today. Dr. Wiseman, thank you for joining us.
0: My pleasure.
3: So, Dr. Wiseman, uh, we were talking before we, we pressed record, and I told you that you were the very first guest on the very first episode of Christ and Culture, and so now we're coming full circle. We're hitting episode 100, and we got you back on. Awesome. And Glad so, to be back. <laughs> yes. And so we're just so grateful you're here. You went a little more in depth in your life journey in, in the first episode, which we encourage people to go back and listen to. Give us the elevator pitch. What, what made you interested in studying the universe?
0: I love nature. So I think it started really from childhood. I grew up in a rural part of the state of Arkansas on a farm in the hills where it was just natural for me to wander around the meadows and the forests and the streams. And um, and I just loved watching nature change every day. I loved animals. I still do. I, I loved wildlife and, and all kinds of animals. And and I loved looking up at the night sky, which at that time was was darker than it is now, unfortunately, with all the light pollution. But, you know, we could see stars from horizon to horizon, and I was curious about the universe and what was out there. And I was also enthralled by some of the first images that were being sent back to Earth from probes, like the Voyager probes, taking close-up pictures of our solar system planets and their moons and i wanted to be a part of that enterprise i wasn't quite sure how because i didn't know any scientists or anything like that at that time but but i knew that i kind of was intrigued by the universe and, and wanted to be a part of of investigating it somehow
3: and you've done that i mean you've done some really remarkable work in studying the universe what are some of your favorite things that you've studied or seen over the years of doing this
0: well i think i still have a deep love for our own solar system because hmm. We have so many things yet to learn about not only the planets, but their their moons in our own solar system. We think, for example, that Europa, a moon of Jupiter, has an icy crust with a water ocean underneath. It's gonna be really great when we can find out the nature of that water and, and maybe if there could be even simple life there. You know, we have a lot of mysteries to investigate. My own research background as I was Uh, learning what astronomers actually do uh, um, uh, became the study of star formation. It it turns out that stars are not just stagnant bodies out in the universe. They actually come and go. And, And so we can actually see regions in our galaxy that are what we might call stellar nurseries where, little uh, globules of gas become dense enough that they collapse under their own weight and if there's enough material it it compresses and starts a reaction called fusion which releases light Um, and that's what stars are doing. So I learned how to use infrared and radio telescopes to peer deep into these thick interstellar clouds. That normally would be invisible to us, but because of these different kinds of light, we can see into them and see that stars are still forming and look at some of those protostars. So that's one thing. And then I, um, I'm i always intrigued by the universe as a whole and the fact that we can see not only our own Milky Way galaxy, where our sun is one star, but we can also see many other galaxies, um, their own collections of hundreds of billions of stars. And it's just mind-blowing to me as as we look at the the vast richness of the universe. I, I never get tired of that. It
3: calls to mind Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And when I read that and I think about the magnitude of what you're describing and in and, and talks at Southeastern, you shared some of these pictures from these remarkable telescopes and stuff. It's mind-blowing how big the universe is, and yet God is somehow bigger, and he just created that. So it's remarkable to think about that in that way. Let's talk about some of the specific new developments in these things. For years, we've been dazzled with beautiful pictures of the universe from the Hubble Space Telescope. Now we've got the the new James Webb Space Telescope. How is James Webb different from Hubble? Like, what's How are they similar? How are they different?
0: Great question. So we have lots of different kinds of telescopes that we use. As I mentioned, for my own research, I have typically used these dish radio telescopes that are on the ground. They pick up low-frequency emission from these dense interstellar clouds uh, where stars are still forming. We also have quite a group of telescopes in space. The most famous one, as you mentioned, is the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, And now we have a very large telescope called the Webb Telescope. They are both large facilities designed to do very detailed and sensitive observations of deep space. Along with some other observatories I should mention in space like the Chandra X-ray Observatory and on the ground, some of these major professional facilities, they each have a niche of, of operation. The Webb telescope is different from Hubble because Hubble sees different kinds of light than Webb. Hubble sees visible light like our eyes see, the the colors of the rainbow, and then this energetic light that's bluer than blue that we call ultraviolet light that's emitted from energetic processes in the universe, like regions where stars are being born or are dying or exploding or, you know, kind of the energetic stuff and then a little bit into the redder than red, the kind of lower energy light we call infrared light. The Webb telescope sees red visible light, but also deeper into the infrared part of the the whole what we call the electromagnetic spectrum. So it sees more infrared light than Hubble can see, and this is really important because infrared light can peer into these regions where stars and even planets around stars are forming in our galaxy so it'll tell us even more than we've already learned but it also will enable us and is already enabling us to see some of the most distant galaxies, you know, galaxies being these collections of hundreds of billions of stars held together by gravity, and of course there's a lot of other stuff in galaxies too, Um, gas, these gas clouds and, and dark matter, but light from objects in space has to travel to get to us, and so we're seeing things as they were back in time and we have known for the last century that space itself is expanding so what happens when light travels across vast distances of expanding space is that its wavelength changes its color gets its wavelengths get kind of stretched out which means we receive it at a bit of a redder color than it was emitted what that means is that for these most distant galaxies which really means we're looking at some of the earliest galaxies in the universe the light even if it started out as blue by the time it passes through all this vast distance of expanding space, it becomes infrared light. And so the Webb telescope is superb at seeing some of these earliest galaxies that Hubble would have trouble picking up because the light is peaking up in this infrared band as we receive it. And it's telling us already about some of the most infant galaxies in the universe very exciting
3: what kind of things are we learning what are some new discoveries we're learning with this new uh james webb space telescope
0: well for one thing we're learning that some of these what i call baby galaxies again astronomy is like a time machine so everything you look at you're seeing it as it was when the light began its trek to us even the nearest stars we're seeing them as they were you know sometimes just a, a few years ago but it's taken years to get to us Our sun is eight light minutes away. So anyway, when you carry that out to very distant galaxies, sometimes you're looking across millions or even billions of what we call light years, which is a a distance. And what we're learning is that some of these most infant galaxies that we're seeing from... Early in the universe, seem to be forming rather quickly. In other words, taking on the 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 kind of spiral structures and things that we would have expected maybe took longer to form. So that's exciting. It means that the universe was well endowed from the very beginning with the kind of forces and material needed to start uh, forming the structures that we enjoy today. So that that's just one kind of exciting um, result And, and. I think what is is going to be really great is the fact that we have quite a few years ahead of us. So mm. the uh, the web telescope is going to be taking some of the most sensitive, deep images of space ever taken. and And it will maybe be uh, some years before we see some of the deepest of these images, but it's well worth it that to learn what we can see, That's the dimmest, faintest in the universe that we haven't seen before. So that will be good. Closer to home, we can look in detail in our own galaxy at these nurseries where new stars and planets are forming. And already, Webb is looking at what we call exoplanets, which is planets that are outside of our solar system. These are planets orbiting stars other than our sun. And while Hubble has done some studies of exoplanets... Webb is picking up on the the techniques that Hubble has developed to to help us understand what's in the atmospheres of these exoplanets. And we're finding things like carbon dioxide and, and water vapor and things like that, especially when we use the combination of Hubble and Webb and some other telescopes as well to give us the full picture of what's in these atmospheres. Why does it matter? Because we can't actually travel right now to these other star systems as much as I would love to to go warp <laughs> speed, but we can't do that just yet. So we are limited to what we can see remotely, and so as we perfect our techniques of of understanding how to discern the compositions of these exoplanet atmospheres, we can tell a little bit more about the nature of those exoplanets And someday we want to answer the question as to whether there might even be simple life, and we might be able to see evidence of that in the atmosphere as we can on Earth's atmosphere. So we're not quite there yet, but these are steps in that direction.
3: i got to imagine when you see these images come in from Hubble or from James Webb, and you're seeing something, A, that no human eye has ever laid eyes on before, Mm. and B you're seeing far back in time. Like it's like a like a little time travel, right? And since you're looking back in time, it's gotta be amazing. At least it would be amazing to me. As a believer, thinking through like the awe of that, a wonder of seeing these things for the first time, like, what, what are your responses to these moments? I, I For me, it would spur me to, to worship to see these things. What, what about for you?
0: I think it, first of all, I'm just awestruck, uh, in particular by a very famous image called the, the, the Hubble Ultra Deep Field, and now these deep fields that are being taken by Webb and other telescopes. Deep simply means that they're very sensitive images so that means that they are collecting some of the faintest light which shows up from some of these most distant galaxies and objects in deep space and to be able to see them at all is a tremendous privilege I mean no no one before our generation has ever seen them before so we're seeing things that you know as a Christian I believe that God already knew all about but is now enabling us to, to have a glimpse and so it It fills me first just with a sense of amazement, and then a sense of of awe and wonder that the universe is richer than we can possibly imagine. I mean, there's something like 200 billion of these galaxies just in in what we call the observable universe, and each one of these galaxies can contain hundreds of billions of stars like our own Milky Way. And now in our Milky Way, we recognize now that most stars actually have at least one planet. You know, we didn't know that when I was in school. Now we do. So you start doing the math, and it's kind of overwhelming Mm -hmm. as to the richness of the universe. I also have a sense of, of, um, well, of course, uh, humility, and some people feel kind of insignificant when, Mm -hmm. when, when we sort of see our tiny place in space and time relative to the vastness of the universe. And that's something we should feel but but on the other hand i think there's a different way of looking at significance which is that god has given us the privilege of having a little bit of this insight a little bit of this knowledge what for well psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of god and so in a sense i think it's to give us a glimpse of god's creativity god's power and I would say God's God's love, uh, and and the reason that I would say that is just first of all that He allows us to to explore and share in the wonder of of creation, but also as we use astronomy as this time machine, we can see how actually stars are not only beautiful but they are productive. They're pro- producing heavier elements from hydrogen the fusion processes inside stars create heavier things like oxygen and carbon and eventually the stars expel that material and so we can see how galaxies over time have been enriched through the stars within them and we're taking advantage of that now in our era on planet earth you know we we really need those atoms of carbon and iron and things in our bodies and on our planet so to me it's a wonderful beautiful provision of god um the the kind of uh, magnificent factories that we need for life. So I, I'm also grateful when I when I see what we're learning through these uh, professional telescope observations of deep space.
3: This season on the podcast, we're focusing on spiritual formation, or just formation in general, uh, for us as human beings. How does this conversation? How does your work uh, in studying all these galaxies, stars, black holes, all these things? How does this form you?
0: I think it humbles me it helps me realize that the, that the god that we believe in is not to be tamed or kept in a small box that that god is knowledge of things going on in realms that we we can hardly imagine we're just barely starting to learn about and so i i think that gives me a spiritually maturing sense of humility and also gratefulness, as, as I see that the universe itself is not stagnant, nor is it sterile. It's a universe that's active, it's productive, producing uh, not only the, the, the energy that filled the universe at its beginning, or at least the, the universe we're experiencing, um, had a very energetic period of, of inflation, it seems, and then matter and stars and galaxies coming together and over time, um, becoming what we're experiencing now. So God's creation is, is, uh, purposeful. And, um, I, I believe that with all my heart. Now, if we look to the far future, we can become more troubled because as this universe is continuing to expand, it may simply cool off and go dark um, in the far distant future. And so we can't look to the creation itself only for our hope, but I think think we can see signs of God's love and purpose within it. But the ultimate purpose is for us to, to worship God and to have a relationship with God and that God is a God of love and provision and holiness. And I think that is something that I am continually learning.
3: Dr. Wiseman, it's been such a delight to have you on to talk about these things. We're so grateful for your work, and we're grateful that you, uh, again, episode number one and episode number 100. So we're thankful for you. How can people follow you and your work?
0: Well, I think uh, for the science part, I encourage people to look on some of these major astronomical resource sites, places like the American Astronomical Society and NASA and Uh, The National Science Foundation all have websites with a lot of resources. Um, If you're interested in the relationship of science and faith, I've been active in several organizations, including BioLogos. BioLogos BioLogos.org helps us understand the harmony of science and the Bible. Um, The American Scientific Affiliation, I'm a past president of. This is a network of people in scientific fields who are Christians, ASA3.org. And there's some other wonderful uh, organizations and websites you can find, including ScienceForTheChurch.org, I think, and some other uh, resources. If you seek, you shall find. But all of these, <laughs> I think, are helpful for people really wanting to understand the findings of modern science and how they fit in with the worldview revealed to us in the Gospels. Dr.
3: Wiseman, thank you so much for being on with us today.
0: My pleasure.
2: And now it's time for On My Bookshelf, the part of the show where professors at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. Dr. Quinn, what's on your bookshelf?
1: The book that comes to mind first is, I'm about halfway through it, it's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzaro. The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzaro. The subtitle is How Transforming Your Inner Life Will Deeply Transform Your Church, Your Team and the world. So uh, I won't give away all the secrets here, but the bottom line, Schizero begins this book by telling a lot of his own faults and failures, especially in ministry. He has a a broader ministry now called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and he, along with his wife, his wife's name is Jerry, they do a lot of work together, emotionally healthy women, emotionally healthy pastors, emotionally healthy, all types of different things. But he, he sort of begins this book by explaining how uh, even when he becomes a Christian, not long after that, he begins leading Bible studies, not long after that, plants a church. He's from New York. He plants in New York. And it's it's a fascinating, what you might think of as a quick success story in terms of church planting and a lot of numbers very quickly. But then it's also kind of the the typical story of a lot of burnout. His wife literally threatens to leave the church and kind of does say, look, I'm not quitting Christianity, but I'm quitting the church. And it has a lot to do with... Um, his lack of emotional maturity and even how he's how he's managing his life and marriage and family. Um, and so a lot of it begins with that. And then out of that, he pulls out key principles for uh, emotion, being emotionally healthy, even recognizing one of the key uh, sort of moves for him is considering your family of origin. And the family that he grew up in was not necessarily a terrible family, But it was, it sort of enculturated some habits in him that he didn't realize were coming out in ways that he distanced himself from family, the priorities that he put on things in ministry. Um, and came to a halt, uh, a kind of a grinding halt in the late 90s, if I recall correctly, where he, he knows that he's, he's about to lose everything if he doesn't attend to his marriage. And so he and his wife go on kind of a marriage retreat with a couple of different counselors for several days, just the two of them together or with those counselors. And it, it completely changed his life. And out of that, now he's, he's given a lot of attention to um, just considering kind of psychologically and spiritually, considering what led to these problems. How can I consider uh, healthier practices uh, practices relative to these issues. How can I help other people prepare for more emotionally healthy uh, spirituality, leadership, pastoral ministry, etc.? And I found I'm halfway through it. I found it really, really. It, there's some weird stuff in there. Let me be honest. There's some strange stuff, but there's also there's a lot of insight in there as well.
2: So it sounds like a great book on soul care. Can you say again the author and the name of the book? Peter Sciasero, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it give us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcast or whatever platform you're listening to and share it with a friend. And if you do so,
3: don't forget to email that to us or tweet it to us, and we'll be uh, entering you into our contest. One more thing before we sign off for today's episode number 100. We would be remiss if we didn't thank the many people who have contributed along the way to make the Christ and Culture podcast happen. So I'm going to list a couple people, and if I miss any, I apologize ahead of time. But we want to thank these people for their service to the Center for Faith and Culture and this podcast. Our current staff, Lisa McNeely, Megan Dickerson, Rachel Smith, Jordan Stefaniak, Gabe McGann. Our former staff, people like Emily Harrison, Nancy Brito, Amanda Hood, and Kim Wiley. Our former engineer who helped get us off the ground initially, Nathan Rostampour all of our many guests along the way, all of the media services people who have answered our questions when we had many questions about how things work, and, of course, our hosts, Dr. Ken Keithley and Benjamin Quinn. Thank you all for 100 episodes, and we look forward to the next 100.